Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. In 1972, NASA launched the exploratory space probe Pioneer 10. According to Leon Jarif and Time Magazine, the satellite's primary mission was to reach Jupiter, photograph it and its moons, and beam data to Earth about the planet's magnetic field, radiation belts, and atmosphere. Scientists regarded this as a bold plan because up until then, no satellite had gone beyond Mars, and they feared the asteroid belt would destroy the satellite before it could even reach its target. But Pioneer 10 accomplished its mission and much, much more. Swinging past Jupiter in November 1973, the space probe was hurled at a higher rate of speed toward the edge of the solar system by the planet's immense gravity. At 1 billion miles from the sun, Pioneer 10 passed Saturn. At some 2 billion miles, it hurled past Uranus. Neptune at nearly 3 billion miles. Pluto at almost 4 billion miles. By 1997, 25 years after its launch, Pioneer 10 was more than 6 billion miles from the sun, and despite that immense distance, Pioneer 10 continued to beam back radio signals to scientists on the Earth. And it kept going. Then at nearly 8 billion miles from the sun, the satellite continued to send signals, received in 2002, 30 years after its launch. Perhaps most incredible, writes Jeriff, is the fact that those signals emanate from an 8-watt transmitter, which radiates about as much power as a bedroom nightlight and take more than nine hours to reach Earth. The little satellite that could was not qualified to do what it did. Engineers designed Pioneer 10 with a useful life of only three years, but it has kept going and going and going. And by simple longevity, its tiny 8-watt transmitter radio accomplished more than anyone thought possible. So it is when we offer ourselves to serve the Lord. God desires faithfulness in the Christian life. He wants us to be careful to maintain good works, to be full of care for others, and to do it over the long term, to do good in this world and continually demonstrate Christ's love and care to those around us. And like that little satellite that could, we need to keep going and going and going and then not stop. And by simply by our faithfulness and God working through our lives over time, we can accomplish for Christ more than anyone thought possible. Titus chapter 3 and verse 8 says, This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Verses 4-7 through remind us how that as believers we have been saved from our sins by such a great salvation and such kindness. And this reminds us how in response to that grace, we should be people of kindness, people of good works for the Lord out of our gratitude. We are not saved by good works, 
We are saved unto good works, to do good works after we have been saved and trusted Christ as our Savior. This was also part of the faithful saying that Titus was to stress and affirm constantly that the recipients of grace are to be people of grace. That grace received is to be grace given away. In grace, Christ gave Himself and He gave His life for others, for all people, in purchasing our salvation. And we now, in grace, are to give of ourselves to others and be people of good works for the Lord's glory. In our giving, godly life filled with good works and care for others is a testimony to this world that we belong to Christ. Bill White tells the following, During a Saturday afternoon community service day, I was walking down a narrow side street in the city of Compton, California, heading toward one of the work sites sponsored by a local church. It was towards the end of the work day, and dozens of yellow-shirted church volunteers, maybe 50 in all, were streaming out of the site, getting ready to head off to lunch after finishing a complete makeover of a local house. I was six or eight houses away when I passed a married couple working in their yard. I paused to compliment the woman on her roses, and she asked me what we were doing down the street. I replied that we represented a band of churches who were serving the city. Then we continued chatting about the neighborhood transformation she had witnessed by our simple acts of goodness. During my conversation with this woman, her husband had been weed-whacking the other side of the front yard. But when he saw my yellow volunteer shirt, he turned off his weed whacker, set it down, started walking straight towards me and his wife. I will never forget his words. After looking me directly in the eye, he nodded approvingly towards the renovated house down the street and said, Where can I get a heart like yours? Flabbergasted, I simply said, We got our hearts from Christ and from knowing Him, and He'd be glad to give you one like His too. Before I had to head off, we had a great conversation about the gospel of Jesus Christ and His power to change hearts, homes, neighborhoods, and cities. The local church is a powerful witness to the world through its acts of kindness in the sacrificial service of its members. 1 Timothy 6.18 says that God desires that we do good and be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. But what are good works? 1 Timothy 5.10 describes some. The good works of a widow are described there, and they're just practical things such as raising children, showing hospitality, serving the saints, relieving the afflicted. When we give our devotion to our marriages, our children, and families, when we work hard at our job as a testimony for Christ, those are good works. When we pray for others, we visit someone in need. We send a card or a note to encourage someone. When we serve in the local church's ministries, when we share the gospel with the lost, those are all good works and show the goodness of God and the selfless love of Christ. It's been said of good works in the Christian life that work is love made visible. Our good works make visible our love for our Lord and Savior and wanting to serve Him by grace, and it makes love visible for other people and towards them. To be careful here in this verse means to ponder, to consider carefully, to be diligent and devoted. We need to give careful thought that we are serving Christ faithfully because we get busy. We all get busy in life. Sometimes we need to step back 
and ponder, examine our lives, and make sure we are maintaining and sustaining a life full of care and good works for others. God's grace gives, and it teaches us to be a giving people who look out for other people. It teaches us to live with Christ's heart and to be used by Him for the good of others. Titus chapter 3, verses 9-11 through 11 read, But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth being condemned of himself. The teaching that good works by believers are good and profitable to all men, as the end of verse 8 says, are in contrast to the foolish questions, genealogies, and contentions, and strivings about the law that Paul says are unprofitable. They don't profit anyone, verse 9 says. Titus was to teach others that in the Christian life there are good things to pursue and there are useless things to run away from. The word avoid here means to be a bystander, keep oneself away, turn your back even. It's an imperative in the Greek, meaning it's a command by God, not a suggestion. Paul is not saying that we shouldn't discuss or defend the truth. Rather, he's warning against foolish controversies. The word foolish comes from the word we get our word moron from. We are here to move away from moronic, empty, pointless arguments. There were those in Paul's day who loved to ask hypothetical questions of doctrine. If this were true, if that were true, in other words. And they get into also discussions about Jewish genealogies and they contend and quarrel and strive about the fine points of the law of Moses. Today there are still people who argue and quibble over things that don't build up and help believers that are empty, pointless questions and discussions that are of no profit. And today we still need to heed this instruction to avoid these things. Keep ourselves away from them. Those are time wasters. God does not want us to waste our time. He wants us to use our time for Him and being careful to maintain good works. Wasting the gift of time grieves the giver of time, and God has created a lifetime of opportunities in serving Him. And so Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Paul shows here that as to the heretic, or the people who are advocating these useless things and exerting a divisive and destructive influence in the church after the first and second admonition, reject. The term heretic here speaks of a divisive person, one who creates divisions, factions, or schisms. It has the idea of someone who makes a decision to be obstinate and cause dissension. This kind of person prefers the major on the minors, as verse 9 is talking about. And Paul shows here that divisive people need to be dealt with decisively because they can cause damage. Damage within the local church. Damage for newer believers. Damage to the church's testimony to the lost. Paul's instruction is to warn a divisive person once, then warn them a second time, and the third time after that, he's just to be rejected. These two admonitions and warnings are for 
The first two are for the purpose of restoration with the hope that they will come back after being admonished and understand the error of their ways or the error of their teaching. But if nothing changes after these two admonition, that person, Paul says, shows themselves to be subverted. And subverted there literally means twisted in character, turned inside out. They've turned from what is right. And they show themselves to be sinful, it says, in sinning. They sin, but they refuse to stop unless they are condemned by their own actions. It's been said, you can't reason with an unreasonable person. And that's the kind of person we're talking about here. And that kind of person is to be rejected, refused, and avoided. The church's leadership must consider the good of the church and have that kind of a factious person leave to protect the church. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, go to BereanBibleSociety.org. Are You Secure? is a 20-page booklet written by Pastor Paul M. Sadler. God has promised the free gift of eternal life to all those who believe on His Son. If God has spoken it, then you can be absolutely certain that He will bring it to pass just as He has promised. If you have a Christian loved one or friend who is always wondering if they can lose their salvation, this is a must-read. This little booklet will assure them from the Scriptures that they are eternally secure in Christ. To order your copy, contact the Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, call 262-255-4750 or subscribe online at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. Titus chapter 3, verses 12 through 13 says, When I shall send Artemis unto thee, or Tychicus, be diligent to come unto me to Nicopolis, for I have determined there to winter. Bring Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey diligently, that nothing be wanting unto them. In verse 12, Paul tells Titus that he intends to send Artemis, or Tychicus, to take over the tasks of Titus on Crete. And when one of them arrived, Titus was to join Paul at Nicopolis, where Paul was determined to stay for the winter. By his words, be diligent, Paul was telling Titus to do his best. The command is a sense of urgency that Titus was to do his utmost to come to him at Nicopolis. You see how Paul was not a lone ranger here. Paul partnered with people. Even though Paul was the apostle of the Gentiles, he worked in tandem with believers. And he worked with people of all kinds of different backgrounds from different countries and different levels of education. Paul worked with both a doctor, Luke, and a runaway slave. Onesimus. He served with those with a Jewish background and with those from a pagan background. We see that with Artemis and we see that with Zenus here in these verses. 
Artemis's name means gift of Artemis, who is the goddess of fertility that was worshipped in Ephesus. His parents obviously venerated the pagan goddess, and it tells us that he came to faith in Christ from a typical Greek upbringing. Zenus means Zeus-given, and he was another converted Greek. But all these different people Paul served with reminds us how the church is. Now, it was created by Christ to be a community, an organism of interdependent people, Jew and Gentile in one body, with all members needed, and all members needing one another. In Christ, there are no barriers of nationality and race and education and social standing, wealth, gender, religion, power. The gospel of grace breaks down all walls. Barriers which separate people in this world, they're not present in Christ. Differences among people in this world have no meaning in Him. Christ dwells in all who believe, and we are all one in Him. Romans 12.5 says, So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Paul had not yet made up his mind what man he wanted to send to Crete to replace Titus, whether it was Artemis or Tychicus. Artemis is not known to us other than what we glean from the meaning of his name, but Tychicus... He's someone who's well-known to us in Paul's epistles. Antichicus was Paul's personal FedEx man. He delivered Paul's letters to the Ephesians, Colossians, to Philemon, uh, and he delivered them from Rome, which was a long, difficult trip. Upon delivering the letters, his job was to tell the churches how Paul was holding up, and then he was to go give Paul info about how the churches were doing. He's commended in Scripture as being a beloved brother, a faithful minister in the Lord, and a fellow servant. And in this book about being careful to maintain good works, he is an example of one who is careful to maintain good works. Zenos and Apollos were in Crete at this writing, and Paul asked that the believers support them as they went about ministering to the various churches. It's probable that they carried this letter to Titus. And now Titus was taught and told by Paul here to aid them as they continued on their missionary journey. Titus 3, verses 14 and 15 read, And let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses, that they be not unfruitful. All that are with me salute thee. Greet them that love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. Through this need to take care of Zenos and Apollos, Paul desired that the believers in Crete learn to maintain good works for necessary uses, which... The necessary uses in this context is providing Zenos and Apollos with places to stay and funds for their journey. We learn from this that maintaining good works is something which must be learned, which must be worked at in the Christian life. We must be careful to maintain them, careful to consider the importance of serving the Lord, and careful to be faithful. And we also must learn to maintain good works as God and His grace teaches us to live for the Lord and to serve Him by grace and lead fruitful lives for Him. And Paul writes, All that are with me salute thee, Titus. What happened to Titus? Second Timothy 4, 9-12, we learn about Titus when Paul writes Timothy, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia. Titus unto Dalmatia, only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable of me for the ministry. And Tychicus have I sent to Ephesus. 
Paul greatly desired to see Timothy before his death, and he tells Timothy to come before winter. Then Paul reminds Timothy of those who wouldn't be coming to see Paul, Demas, Crescens, and Titus. Attracted by the temporal and influenced by the present world, Demas turned away from the eternal and from the ministry and from the apostle Paul. Demas had been Paul's fellow laborer, as he called him in the book of Philemon, but now he labored after worldly pleasures instead of laboring for the Lord. Lumped in with Demas, who had forsaken him, is Crescens and Titus, who evidently had gone off by themselves as well, leaving Paul in his hour of need. After writing of the departure of Demas, Crescens, and Titus, Paul writes, Only Luke is with me. With Demas and Crescens, Titus, unfortunately, had not remained faithful. He had left Paul and left the faith. These saints had become unprofitable. Then Paul moves on to speak of those who were profitable to him, such as Luke, Mark, and Tychicus. Paul sent Tychicus to Ephesus, but Paul had not sent Titus to Dalmatia because he had left the ministry. Timothy needed to know that even those closest to him in the ministry had the possibility of faltering in their stand with him, as Demas, Crescens, and Titus had done to Paul. And we too need to be aware of this in our lives, that those who stand for the truth sometimes falter. They sometimes leave the ministry. They sometimes depart from the truth. But we must not allow these things that happen more often than we think to cause us to falter. We're not to be keeping our focus on spiritual leaders who may disappoint us. Rather, each of us need to keep our eyes on the Lord who will never disappoint us. And keeping our eyes on Him, we need to fight a good fight, finish our course, and keep the faith. With Paul's characteristic closing, Paul completes his letter to Titus, Grace be with you all. Amen. Each of Paul's 13 epistles begin and end with grace. They begin with declarations of grace from God the Father and God the Son. At the end, Paul closes with grace be with you. In between... Paul's letters are filled with instruction, correction, and encouragement for how to be saved by grace alone and how the church is to live and serve by grace in this dispensation of grace. Roger Staubach, who led the Dallas Cowboys to an NFL championship after the 1971 season and was voted Super Bowl MVP, admitted that his position as a quarterback who didn't call his own signals was a source of frustration for him. Coach Tom Landry sent in every play from the sidelines. The coach coach told Roger when to pass and when to run. Even though Staubach considered Coach Landry to have a genius mind when it came to football strategy, his pride said that he should be able to run his own team. When asked how he resolved this tension, Staubach said, I faced up to the issue of obedience. Once I learned to obey, there was harmony, fulfillment, and victory. As you and I learn to obey the wisdom of God's Word and we yield our wills to His and humble our hearts to follow Him, we will experience harmony, fulfillment, and victory in life as well. The book of Titus has some tough and challenging instruction, but it is the Word of God, and it is what is best for each of us. And as we yield to it and obey it, the church will be stronger and our individual Christian lives will be better for it as well. If you're not receiving our free 32-page full-color monthly Bible study magazine, The Brian Searchlight, be sure to contact us at BBS to sign up. 
Our magazine has been published since 1940 and it has always been sent out free of charge. We send this magazine to every state in the Union and more than 40 foreign countries. We send it to anyone who requests it. The magazine contains Bible study articles to help you in your Christian walk and to aid you in your understanding of the Word rightly divided. It also contains announcements about Bible conferences, advertisements for literature, and encouraging letter excerpts from people all over the world in this country who are rejoicing in the truth of the message of grace for today. You can sign up through our website at BereanBibleSociety.org or by calling us at 262-255-4750. Thank you for watching this episode of Transformed by Grace. And 1 Timothy 1.15 says that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Christ is that Savior. He is the one way to God. The issue of salvation from our sins and from hell is not what you can do for God, but what God has done for you. It's not us trying to reach God. It's what God in His love and grace has done in reaching down and coming to us and sending His Son to be our Savior. God Himself provided the way to be saved through the death of His Son on the cross and His resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4 reads, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. 2 Corinthians 5:21 teaches, For He, that is God the Father, hath made Him, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Christ died for us. He died for our sins. He took our sins on Himself and He paid sin's penalty for us. He took our place. As our substitute, He endured the wrath of God against our sins so that we don't have to endure that wrath forever in the lake of fire to have the righteousness of God and a home in heaven forever. We each have a personal responsibility to make a decision to believe God. God has given you a free will to either accept or reject what He has done for you. To have God's free gift of salvation on the authority of the Word of God, all you need to do is trust that Christ died for your sins personally and that He rose again. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. At that moment in time, when you place your faith in Christ alone to save you from your sins, you are declared righteous forever by God. You are forgiven of all of your sins. You are given the free gift of eternal life, and you have the sure hope of heaven and nothing will ever separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. If you've never made this decision, please trust Christ to save you right now. For nearly 80 years, the Berean Bible Society has endeavored to encourage believers everywhere to study God's Word. With this foundation, the believer is equipped to grow spiritually and energized to effectively share the gospel. Through the tools of both traditional and electronic media, we are positioned to reach our world well into the coming generations. Streaming lessons, printed materials, 
audio teachings, and daily devotionals are all available at the BereanBibleSociety.org. Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.